before I read the scriptures. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, no word was written except through the power of your Holy Spirit who inspired the writers of Holy Scripture to give us words that will last for eternity. Jesus himself said that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. We thank you for the testimony of Scripture. We thank you for the comfort. We even thank you when Scripture makes us feel uncomfortable because we do not measure up. Help us to conform our lives. Help us to be imitators of your Son, Jesus Christ. As we read Scripture now, open, open not just our minds to understand it, but even more so our hearts. In the name of our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. The scripture reading today is in Genesis 32. It's kind of, kind of part of a small series. Last time I was here, three weeks ago, um, told a bad joke about the time the devil went to church, right? People started leaving as fast as they could, except for one dear saint in the front. He marched up to her, said, aren't you afraid of me? And she said, no. And he said, why not? And she said, I've been married to your brother for 50 years. And the sermon was about Leah, right? She, she married a man. She married a man who, who didn't love her. And, and we covered that, that crisis in her life. Now we come to the man she married, to Jacob, and we're going to look at the crisis in his life. And that's in Genesis 32, verse 22. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream... He sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip 
was touched near the tendon. Well, we, like I said, we looked at Leah. Uh, she was struggling to find herself. She thought that in her marriage with Jacob, then by giving him sons, that, that he would love her. But, but he, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll see him someday in heaven. I, I don't know if he ever loved her. Because he loved her sister, right, Rachel. And he was married to Leah. Her, their dad, the sister's dad, pulled a fast one. And he, uh, he ended up marrying both of them. But it was, it was through her crisis, her struggle, that she became a woman of faith. And she turned to the Lord, and we think, wow, Jacob's a real heel, right? He's, he's a bad guy. And yeah, he did a lot of things, a lot of bad things. But that's only the tip of the iceberg. Leah found faith in her life through the crisis. And so too, Jacob is going to find faith in his life through his crisis. And I want to set the stage for you a little. Jacob had run away from home 20 years earlier for an important reason. His twin brother Esau wanted to kill him. All because Jacob had done two things. First, he stole his brother's birthright. And then he deceived his brother and stole the blessing. And Esau's rage was so great, Jacob's mother said, Son, you you need to leave. You need to go to my uncle or to my brother, who's your uncle. And he would work there as a shepherd for 20 years. He married the sisters. He had one daughter, 11 sons, by his two wives and two maidservants. He, He got fed up with his uncle and how he was being treated. So in the dead of night, he left with, with everyone and everything. His family, his, his workers and servants, all the flocks. And at the beginning of the chapter, he discovers his brother Esau is coming to meet him with 400 of his men. He's terrified, and he starts making plans to get out of this. This could be his last night. You know... Sometimes people will say something to me like, people wrote the Bible. And that's right. God used people to write the Bible. But what they often mean is something like, people made up stories, and then they put them together in this book we call the Bible. And if I wanted to be a smart aleck, I'd say something like, well, they could have done a better job. Because the Bible is full of hard stories that are difficult to understand. And this is one of them. When you think about it for a moment, if people wrote the Bible, if we, you know, if, if we got together, just this group, and we wanted to write something we'd call the Bible, our Holy Scriptures, we'd come up with easy stories. Right? They'd be easy to understand. The good guys would always win. People with faith would never have problems. I mean, if you trust God and do things His way, life will be easy-peasy for you. But we know the Bible and life are not this way. Another reason these stories are difficult is because of the passage of time and different cultures. This, this saga here, the Abraham saga and his family, we find here in Genesis 3,800 years ago in a Middle Eastern culture. And I may have told you, when I was in college, I, I decided to read through the Bible. I said, I'm going to sit down and read through the Bible. And I started in Genesis, and I got all this stuff going on, and I thought, this is weird. And especially that, that thing where, where Jacob stole the blessing, right? He, 
His father couldn't see well. He, he dressed as his brother, and he went in, and his, his father thought it was his brother Esau. So he gave him the blessing. And when I first read that, I thought, come on, right? This is false pretenses. I, I don't have a legal background. This is fraud, pure and simple. So, so I, I put that in the back of my mind, thinking, you know, this, this is one of those mistakes in the Bible. But then over the years, through my studies, I came across an article that talked about the fact in the ancient Near East, at that time, in that part of the world, not, not the Hebrew culture, but in the culture of the society of that time, there was an oral blessing that the Father would give. And we have written records of that. And these records show that there were legal cases where one son <laughs> took his brother and father to court to try and change the oral blessing. And all the cases said, once it's given, it can't be changed. So yeah, the Bible's hard to understand. But if we keep trying, we can get there. Archaeology always confirms the Bible. Take our scripture reading today. My, my life would be easier without difficult passages of Scripture like this. My life would be easier. But it's, it's here for this reason, and it's to challenge us. This is the climax of Jacob's story. It's the key moment. And so I, I have to challenge myself, and I want to challenge you today as we grapple to understand this. We want to look into why God wrestled with Jacob. I mean, he, he really did and how we can apply this to our own wrestling matches with God. This was Jacob's biggest crisis. Esau, his twin brother, who wanted to kill him, was coming his way with 400 men. Jacob couldn't turn back. He had vowed before God that he wouldn't go back to his uncle Laban. In fact, God told Jacob it was time to leave. After 20 years of working for his uncle, Jacob wanted to go home. He'd done everything he could. But he didn't have any tricks. He didn't have an army. But, but he wasn't going to, to fight. He wanted to go home. And so to get ready for this, for, to meet his brother, he did three things. He divided his camp into two groups. So that at least, you know, if, if one was attacked, the other might run away and escape. He also sent five herds of more than 550 animals to pacify or bribe his brother. And then he also prayed. And the most important of these things was prayer. He reached to grab a hold of God's promise. And he bent low to admit he was unworthy of God's goodness. He prayed the most basic of prayers. He said this, Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. For I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. Save me, I pray. And this chapter, chapter 32, it's, it's amazing. Angels are involved. Angels show up. Jacob calls on the Lord God to remember him as if God could forget his covenant with his grandfather Abraham. And I'd encourage you to, to read this chapter today. Read it. Because the treasured life God had promised to his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham was almost within reach. It was just on the other side of the river Jabbok. And I think Jacob is, is trying to trust God that, that God will do something. Just as he had prayed, but, but we know when we're having problems, 
And it's the middle of the night. It's not so easy to trust God. So there Jacob was. He was alone in a dark ravine by the river. Everyone else was gone. He was alone. He'd made plans. Maybe he just wanted to be alone for a minute and to rest. Maybe to keep asking God for assistance. And then from nowhere, another man attacks him. And his muscles must have tensed, and he started to fight back, and many thoughts must have been racing through his mind. Who is this, right? Who is this? What does he want? I, I won't be stopped. I've waited 20 years to go back home, and I'm not going to die here. And he would fight as if his life depended on it. Jacob was probably in his late 30s by now. He had, he had led the difficult life of a shepherd. It, it wasn't easy being a shepherd. So in the darkness, groping and straining, the, the two men are wrestling one another. And Jacob's trying to figure this out. Is, is this a robber, right? Is, is he trying to rob me? Is, is it Esau? Is it my brother? But why is he here alone? Who is it? And is he, just, is he trying to steal from me? Does he just want to hurt me? And it wasn't long, right? Wrestling's very exhausting. It stops being a struggle of strength, and it becomes a battle of wills. Who will give up first? And Jacob knew that this was no ordinary man, and he just kept fighting. The sheer force of his will was amazing. And then the stranger touches his hip. There was no knife blade cutting the flesh, but his, his hip gave out. It seemed to come apart at the seam, and his leg would give way. And he's clinging to the man now, still wrestling, but he's, he's got to be holding on for support. And Jacob has to be thinking, who is this that, that a mere touch can cripple? And there's no telling how long this match rest lasted. But finally, the night starts to turn into day. Still too dark to see, but the dawn is coming. No words had passed between Jacob and this man until now. And then his, his enemy, his opponent, said the strangest thing. Let me go, for it is daybreak. <laughs> what kind of reason is that to break off a fight? And Jacob begins to realize who he's been wrestling. It was the very God whose blessing he had been scheming to get his entire life. It was the same God he had seen at the top of the staircase when he ran away from home that first night. Remember, he he found a rock for a pillow and he had the dream of the angels of God ascending and descending. And God was at the top. And God spoke to him. And Jacob made a vow that if God would bring him back home, he would make, make the Lord his God. And through this night, God was shrouded in darkness. But with the coming of the morning light, Jacob knew he knew was close to death because who can see God and live? And Jacob gasped, I will not let you go unless you bless me. God's blessing had been his life's goal and God had blessed him. Now he seeks to break free, to take the blessing and leave. Esau isn't the threat anymore. God's the threat. And Jacob is holding on. His legs, ah, oh, his hip ached like fire. He, he didn't have any bargains. He didn't have any tricks. He didn't even have two legs to stand on. And the stranger spoke again, and Jacob could never, never have anticipated the question. 
what is your name? And I think there in the darkness, Jacob must, must have blushed because this wasn't his first encounter with God. And he begins to realize that this wrestling match was the story of his life with God. When Jacob was born, he was holding on to his brother's heel, his twin brother. So they named him Jacob, which means he grasps the heel. But it also means deceiver. And to say your name is to admit your guilt. Who would, who would want to bless a man whose, whose name is deceiver, heel grabber? Uh, if you've got a name like that, you don't stand a chance then. And the fighting had to be, had to be slowing down. It's quiet. The stranger speaks a third time. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And Jacob had to be stunned. His mind would be spinning. He was spent, crippled, alone with Esau and the 400 men waiting for him on the other side of the river. And he heard the name again, Israel, which means he struggles with God. I think finally Jacob understands what's happening. He had prayed only hours earlier that God would save him. Now he has a new name. It's a pardon. He has a new identity. It was a strange upside-down name for the man who had spent his whole life trying to get ahead. The real story of his life The story worked out this dark night was not just Jacob striving to win, but God's relentless striving to pin Jacob down by his love. And I I want to take a moment and talk about this. What or who is Jacob wrestling? We're told several times here it's a man. But later Jacob makes it clear that he, he wrestled with God himself. The Old Testament prophet Hosea says this. In the womb, he, this is Jacob, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord God Almighty. The Lord is his name. Well, this, this helps us. It's, it's good to have other scriptures, but it might even be more confusing because now it, it mentions an angel. Remember what I said at the beginning? The Bible's not always so easy to understand. But there's an answer. We just need to, to keep our theology straight. And I want to look at a passage in Joshua. Let me set the stage for you. Book of Joshua, chapter 5. The Israelites, they've, they've left Egypt. They've come to an obstacle, the city of Jericho. And it's shut up tight. Joshua goes out by himself to do some reconnaissance. He wants to look things over. And he, he meets a man. He meets a man with a weapon. So in Joshua 5, 1, it says this. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho... He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us 
or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servants? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Remember in the Leah story, I said in the Old Testament, when you see, see the word Lord in all capitals, that's the divine name. Yahweh or Jehovah, the special name of God. So here in Joshua, he meets a man, but he's the commander of God's armies. And then in chapter 6, we find it's the Lord himself who is speaking to Joshua. So Joshua sees a man with a sword. He's ready to fight him if he's on the wrong side. But now, when, when this person speaks, there's a change. And to make a long story short, in the Old Testament, there's a special angel known as the angel of the Lord. This is an appearance of God himself, or sometimes it might even be an appearance, a pre-incarnate appearance of God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, also known later as Jesus Christ. Can I, can I give you something else to read? It's still cold out, right? Judges 13. Judges 13. Write that in your Bibles. Read Judges 13. It tells the story of a childless couple. A man appears to them. But later on, it's, it's an angel. Then later on, they think they're going to die because it's the angel of the Lord. Oh, and by the way, the name of their son would be Samson. Judges 13. In Jacob's wrestling match at the Jabbok River, over the years, artists have, have depicted this, right? I, I love how artists, through the centuries, draw biblical pictures. And they always show an angel with wings, it's, it's hard to find one without wings. But truth be told, not all angels have wings. Think back when God sent the two angels to Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Hebrews 13.2 it says this, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And I, I think people would have figured out there's something special or different if you're walking around with wings on. And as difficult as it may be, Jacob did fight hand-to-hand with God himself, appearing as a man, as the angel of the Lord. This story is bigger than it looks, and it's as hard to understand as any story in the Bible. But in many ways, it's a story of the Bible itself. It's a story of a people who would now bear his name, the name Israel, the Israelites, and the land that exists today that we call Israel. And it's a story of, of a people on whom God has fixed his love. And it's, it's your story and mine because of God's love. And I think the most important part of the story is when God changed Jacob's name to Israel. In verse 28, the man said, your name will be will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And my Bible has a footnote. Israel means he struggles with God. And that's the story of Jacob's life. This is strange. 
Jacob is, is terrified at the approach of Esau. And here he is, he's now crippled, he's exhausted, he's been up all night. Is anyone less an overcomer? And if you think about the past where Jacob outfoxed his brother twice, his father, his uncle, why would God commend him for this? He had always been an overcomer by tripping and tricks, nothing that, that deserved a new name, a new chance. But that night, when Jacob fell and gave in to God, Jacob overcame God. Why would the Almighty God, creator of the universe, omnipotent Lord of hosts, ever need to struggle? Well, Jacob did prevail in the wrestling match, but not by sheer strength. His only act was to cling tenaciously to the angel. And in the words of Hosea, he wept and sought his favor. That's how Jacob won. This is the meaning of the fact that God was overcome by Jacob. In the same way, we who are his children, who are heirs of the blessings, can prevail with God. Because God has to break us of our self-dependence. God has to break us of our self-dependence so he can bless us as we cling to him in our brokenness. God struggles with people on whom he's fixed his love, but they often reject it. We, we struggle. We're short-sighted. We're ill-fated. We're, we're trying to get life's best, but we need to rely on God. Again, in Ephesians chapter eight, verses, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. God wants to bless Jacob's life. God had told him this. He wants to bless ours. But we cannot get God's blessing by doing things our way. And here's how it often works. We face a challenge in life. Could be a relationship problem, something at work, uh, something with our health or the health of someone else. We, we do everything we've done before to try and manage it, to make things work. But what worked before doesn't work anymore. And no matter how much we struggle, no matter how hard we try, it's like things are stacked against us. It's like someone behind the scenes is making it harder and not easier. And we, we reach the point where there's no more fight left in us. We just spent a terrible night at the Jabbok River. We just wrestled with God. Everything until now in Jacob's life had been characterized by his carnal strivings to get what he wanted. Right? That's, that's an old-fashioned word. You understand the word carnal? It means physical, fleshly, human effort. And Jacob has learned the folly and futility of this effort. You know, entrance into a life of blessing. The only way to achieve that is the same way that Jacob secured the blessing of the angel here. By clinging to God and weeping. And by depending upon him to provide and protect us. Because when we come into this world, we're all like Jacob. We're fighting battles 
We cannot win. Let me tell you about someone who fought such a battle. World War II ended 1945. Do you know when the last Japanese soldier surrendered? 1974. Yeah. Lieutenant Hiru Onada and a small squad were dropped off on one of the Philippine islands, one of the smaller islands, on Christmas Day, 1944. And in August of 45, it ended. But he had orders. He had orders to fight even if Japan surrendered. One of his fellow soldiers surrendered in 1950. One was killed by police in 1954, and then another in 1972. The Filipinos knew he was there. They, they used broadcast loudspeakers, to talk to him. They dropped leaflets from airplanes over the jungle. He lived off the land. He took from the farmers. He killed 30 Filipinos. He finally surrendered when his former superior officer commanded him to lay down his weapons and come out of the jungle. He was dropped off as a fit 22-year-old. And now he, he was 52 when he surrendered, but that had taken an incredible toll on him. His words, nothing pleasant happened in those 29 years in the jungle. Nothing pleasant happens to us in our battle with God. So this brings me to a question. How does God struggle with us? How does he struggle with us so as not to destroy us? Because it was God who initiated this contest. God wrestles with us. And like every wrestler, he has his moves. And he used some of his favorite moves on Jacob. And maybe he's used them on us too. In verse 25, first of all, it says that God will sometimes handicap us. He, he touched his hip. He touched his hip. In some ways, God doesn't fight fair. Often we, we have something in our life that, that we're proud of, something that makes us strong. Maybe we, you know, uh, we're smart, we have a good intellect, or, or we're physically healthy, we have strong bodies, uh, good relationships. Sometimes God takes what's a source of pride in our life and he, he'll touch it and cripple it. And we suffer. But we don't, we don't have a theology of suffering. We believe all hardship and suffering is to be avoided, but the Bible has a different take on that. In Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9, it says this about Jesus Christ. He, Jesus, learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. That's pretty profound. But we have to realize there's a reason for the hardship and difficulties in our lives. Also, when we wrestle with God, he wants us to consider the cost if we let him go. Jacob wouldn't let go. He wouldn't let go for anything. Consider what the stranger says in verse 26. You know, let me go for it's daybreak. First, Jacob wants to get him off his back, but now he won't let go of him. Who's wrestling who here? 
And God wrestles us. He reduces us often to desperation. And it's right then that we realize we can't let go of God. If we let Him leave, we'll go unblessed. And a person can lose their soul. We must cling to God as a drowning person does to a life preserver. God also makes us face ourselves. That's what's happening in verse 27. He asks, what is your name? He's, he's saying, who are you really? Who are you? Well, I'm the deceiver. God breaks our wills by making us face our grasping, self-centered, desperate selves. We, we get used to it. You know, I've lived with myself my entire life. <laughs> we get used to ourselves and our way of doing things. It looks normal. It looks right. But in the dark moment of the night, God is saying, Who are you really? Who are you, Joe? And then we have to face what's crushing us and humiliating us. We have to realize it's necessary. And last, let's realize that God isn't the enemy. He's not the enemy, but he's the prize. Jacob was a pursuer of blessing, but he, he sought it in the wrong way. At first he fought because he, he thought he faced an enemy. But then he was wrestling with God. He wouldn't let go because God is the prize. God was everything he wanted, but he, he didn't understand this truth. And all too often we fight against God. We might think he's against us, but the reality is far different. One final question. What do we do when God has won. What do we do? The answer is we beg for mercy. The prophet Hosea tells us that's what Jacob did. He wrote, In the womb he grasped his brother's heel. As a man he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. That's the way we went against God. We weep and seek his favor. And this is painful. It's costly. And God does this so that we stop struggling and that we trust him. And it's a lesson we need to learn. Ever since Adam and Eve were driven from the garden, God has been trying to pull us back to himself as recreated women and men in the image of Jesus Christ. But we can't go to him the way we left, doing things our own way, not trusting his word. This was Leah's problem. She wanted her husband to love her. And she thought by giving him sons, he would. But it never happened. And it's only when she looked to God alone that she got her life back. She found freedom and purpose. Isaiah the prophet was preaching to a headstrong nation of Israel. Jacob's new name. And he says in chapter 30, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. He describes all they would do, but they wouldn't trust God. And finally later on he says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. In the New Testament terms, we... We put our faith in Jesus Christ.
He's the only way to cross safely into the land of God's blessing. And we often look for the blessing, success, achievement, fame, wealth, honor, any, anything desirable, but God is the blessing we need. We need to wrestle with God today, not because he's against us, but because he's what we need. And in the end, Jacob does what we all need to do. He's confronting his failures, his weaknesses, his sins, all the things that have been hurting him, and he faces God. He wrestled with God. It's an exhausting struggle. It left him crippled. It was only after he came to grips with God and ceased his struggling that he could receive God's blessing. Well, I'm hoping I answered more questions for you than I've raised. But like I said at the start, some parts of the Bible are very, very difficult. But if we avoid them, then we miss out on the things that are in Holy Scripture and that God wants us to know. In Jacob's life, this was a crucial moment. He would return home. His brother Esau came to be reconciled with him. He brought them in to help move everything back. He's accepted. But his life would still be difficult. His wife, Rachel, would would die in giving birth to the twelfth and final son. And his favorite son, Joseph, the firstborn of Rachel, would be sold as a slave by his brothers. And so what we learn from Jacob is our lives are not always going to be easy. And that's especially true when we take it upon ourselves to wrestle with God. We also need to learn as Christians... Despite our trials and tribulations in life, our strivings are never empty of God's presence. His blessing follows a struggle. Real growth in our lives often involves struggle. The truth Jacob found is this. We may fight God in his will for us, but in truth, God is very good. He's very good to us. As believers in Jesus We struggle in the loneliness, the darkness of the night, but at daybreak, his blessing does come. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Life is is so full of struggle, and we need you. You help to give meaning. contentment and you give us hope as your people we know this this world is not our home but we live here this is where we make the memories but let's not become so attached we forget where our true home is and we look forward to the day when our savior shall return for us We shall join you for eternity in a new heavens and a new earth. As we go through the darkness of our own nights, help us to know the day will come and we'll be with you. Thank you for your love. 
We pray through Jesus. Amen.